I don't know why you're here, and I venture to guess some of you don't know why you're really here either. It's just kind of what you do on a Sunday. You, you show up for it, you're a part of it, but um, you'd never really thought, you know, why am I here? So think about it this way. If you go out today after the service, and maybe you're wearing one of these conversation starters that we have that you can purchase up front by the coffee bar, but anyway, a conversation starter, and people say, hey, what's that about, or, you know, what's going on there, and you say, hey, it's a it's my church, and you realize this is that awkward time, so you say, hey, you should come with me sometime, and you go ahead and put yourself out there and courageously invite them. Most of the time, we assume they're going to say, oh, I already go to another church, or I work on Sundays, or that sounds cool, I'll check it out. Like Anything along those lines would be understood, but what if they asked you why? What if you said, um, well, it's, it's my church, and hey, you ought to come with me next week. And they said, okay, why? What do you say? Like, are you really prepared for the why? Well, uh, because I want you to come be my guest. I want you to come with us. Yeah, but why should I come? We, we start at 1030. Is that like, well, I don't know what to say. Like, it's, what's the thing? Like, what are you supposed to say? When someone is not sure of the purpose of the whole deal and wondering if it's something they should even consider doing, what do you respond with? Well, if you grew up with the, in the church culture, maybe you go back and go, well, it's, it's, it's like a place for a spiritual hospital. It's not for the people who have it all together. It's for those who are spiritually speaking, you know, sick or you know, whatever. And that's, that's your appeal. And then they say, well, what happens when I get better? Will I not need to come anymore? Oh, well, that's the catch. Like you never really fully get better until you get to heaven. Why would you want to go to a hospital that can't make you well? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why? I think I'll pass then. You're inviting me to the spiritual hospital that can't get me well. So no, I don't want to be a part of that. What's, what's the purpose? You could say, well, it's a place for you to go and connect with other people and not have to worry about you know, getting in trouble. The good kind of people, good kind of friends to have. But what if you already have good friends? And some of you, frankly, have too many friends and you don't really like the ones you have. You just kind of peopled out for a while. You're thinking, why would I want to be a part of that? Well, maybe it's, we just have all these ideas that we don't really know. And we've never really stopped to ask. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm just not good with words. I just know when I come, there, there's something here. And that's fine. But at some point, whatever we believe has to come out through our mouth. Like we need to be able to, to hook in because after a while, we get to that place where we need to be able to verbalize it. In other words, we're not even going to be able to convince ourselves to stick and stay. Like, if you've ever been in a crisis situation and someone was just overwhelmed emotionally, there are literally times, and some of you have had to do this before, working with people, where you have to stop and hold their hand and say, just breathe. Imagine having to tell a human being, breathe, like tell them what to do. They're so in chaos, they're so overwhelmed with what's happening. Or you've been around someone that's grieving and you said, just brush your teeth, get dressed, and then we'll take the next step. There are times when we're so overwhelmed with stuff that we just need to know what that next step is. And inevitably, as a church family, we're going to have that. We get overwhelmed with stuff, we have opportunities, we, we crowd it out in our schedule or we cloud it up with all the other opportunities we have and we forget, like, why are we actually doing this in the first place? What is the purpose of it all? Well, the good thing is for this church and for every church on the planet, we already have a mission, a mission that Jesus himself gave us. 
We referred last week to the Great Commission, go into all the world, tell everybody the good news of the gospel, teach people, baptize them, train them up, lead them up, make disciples. That's the mission, if you will. And for our purposes, for our language, that make disciples means to lead all people from all places to be all in with Jesus. Like that's our mission. That's our mission. That's the mission for every single church in this city. It's a mission for every single church around the globe. Now, do we sometimes forget our mission? Yes. Do we sometimes lose sight of our mission? Absolutely. But our mission is to lead all people from all places to be all in with Jesus. But we as a church family have to decide how we're going to do that. What's our strategy going to be? And five, six years ago, my wife and I sat around and we began to pray about this and thought, Lord, if you're really going to thrust us back into this church planting mode, we wanna have some barriers. And I tried my best to get away from what I knew in my heart and I just kept going back to the same things over and over again. So what I wanna do is just share with you our strategy for fulfilling the mission that God has actually given us. It's not incredibly profound and you're not gonna find the spirit of Jesus in the verbs or the words. It's not that big of a deal what you call it, but what we're doing is incredibly important. So as we boil it down to what's really important, I wanna share with you our, the three-part strategy of our church and what we're doing. It begins today with this, this thing we're doing right here, the gathering. Our three parts are to gather to celebrate Jesus, to connect in order to grow together and then serve to change lives. So gather, connect, and serve. And we're gonna talk about gather today. So the first thing is to gather to celebrate Jesus. That's going to be strategy number one, the first part of it. The thing we're going to say, listen, if we don't do anything else, we have got to do this. This gathering thing that we do, we do it at nine o'clock and 10.30 on Sunday mornings and at times in other spaces as well. But I want us to ask the question, why? Like, why do we do this? Why do we gather? Is it just so that if you're a singer, you can sing, a preacher, you can preach, a teacher, you can teach in the kids' area, a kid, you can have fun in a wholesome kind of place? And sometimes I even wonder, do, do some people just drop off their kids and leave? I don't even know. But like, what do we, why do we do this thing? Why, why do we gather? And I wanna give you the two reasons that we gather. I'm sure there are more. And if I had more time, I would share those, but two. Number one, we're created for it. It's just a part of who we are. It's in our DNA. God created us to thrive in celebrations, to enjoy celebrating something else, to be in awe of something, to emulate something. And people have wanted to do that from the very beginning. God never had to break through and say, listen, I am God and here's what worship is all about. Let me explain this to you. You're gonna wanna bow in my presence. You're gonna wanna do this. Oh, we were already created to worship. It's part of who we are. In fact, if you look through the story of God, you'll find God just breaking into the story saying, worship me only. In other words, it's a given people were worshiping and he had to help them understand, you don't worship anyone else. I am different. I am set apart. I'm holy. I'm the only one I want you to worship. And in Exodus chapter 20, God is giving Moses some instructions for the people and he included it in those commands. He said, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. He said, I won't tolerate you loving on anybody else. I'm jealous for your affection. And while he was telling this to Moses, the people were waiting on Moses and they had already begun to create an idol to worship. 
they were so uh, passionate about worshiping that they were willing to worship something else while Moses was listening to God so he could come down and tell them what God said. God said, I can't have this. We were created for it. There's something in us. There's something in all of you, all of us, that wants to emulate. It wants to recognize awesomeness and say, that's incredible. And we fix our eyes on it. We obsess ourselves with it. We want to be a part of it. We want to be around it. We get so caught up in it because we're going to put our affections somewhere. We were created for it. Number two, we were commanded to it. Not only were we created for it, but we were commanded to do it. Some of you did not want to come today. You just didn't want to be here. And your mom or your dad, your grandmother said, out of bed, let's go. We're going to go. And you, oh, it's so dark outside, all that stuff. And yet you're here. You didn't want to be here. And if I'm standing out there in 30 minutes and you leave and you go, hey, that was a great service today. I'm so glad. Then you get in the car and go, I, just, I didn't want to be here today. And I want you to know it's okay. And truth be told, there are some days when I stand, no, but the, I, I know you don't want to be here all the time. I get that. But it's not really about what we feel like doing. We were not just created for it, but we were commanded to do it. God knew us and our frail, broken spirits. There are going to be times when we're just somewhere else. Our attention is off. Our focus is off. And we even question at times what it is we do believe. But we were commanded to do it. He said, I want you to discipline yourselves to make this a priority. He said it this way in Psalm chapter 29, verse 2. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. He said, you worship God, not based on your feelings, but based on my holiness, based on my otherness, based on what I've done and what I am doing around you. Your worship is not rooted in, man, I'm just so tired. I just wanna just kind of fall apart in a place and let people sing God's stuff over me. I wanna hear God's verses. I wanna hear those familiar songs or sounds or words or be around those people to make me feel. It has nothing to do with feeling. Feeling may come after the faith, but the faith is actually that first step. We were commanded to do it. You say, well, I can do that though in my truck. I can do that in my yard. I can do that in my bed. I, I don't have to be here. And in Hebrews chapter 10, as the people were being pressed because of their own belief and literally being persecuted, some even killed because of their faith, God knew they needed to be encouraged. And this is what he said to them in verse, 10, or verse 23 of chapter 10. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together as, some, the habit, as is the habit of some people, Beware of uh, memorizing something in a different translation. Message up. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He said, don't stop doing this because I am going to give you courage, but I'm not gonna give you courage as you're isolated. I'm gonna give it to you through the people that you gather with. And this is kind of slick on God's behalf. It's as if we pray in our private closet and we say, God, this is what I need. And God says, okay. I'll give it to you on Sunday. No, like now, right where I am, I need you. Yes, I'm going to unveil that at the next gathering. Well, I don't want to be around those people. I want you to do this for me now. And God says, no, later. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about our new sixth graders that are coming up and being a part of our middle school now. And now they're officially able to come to our Wednesday night gathering for teenagers. 
And I talked to my wife a little bit about the kids that were coming up and, and our youth pastor, Jesse, about the kids that were coming in. And I said, okay, here's the deal. And he had, he had something set aside for them as a gift. And my wife had something set aside as a gift. I was like, both cool ideas, but let's not let them have the gift unless they come on Wednesday to get it. Like they need to, to be here. Like we could easily give it to them on Sunday morning as they're leaving, but let's make them get here. And, and in ways, that's kind of what God does. God says, okay, you, you need encouragement this way. I'll give it to you on Sunday. And there are times when I pray and say, God, I don't have this ability or this talent or this skill level. I need to be able to do this. And God says, great, I've got a couple that's gonna come to the bridge in a couple of weeks and you're gonna meet them and they have the gifts that you don't have. No, I think you misheard me. I said, I wanted those gifts so that I could leave this thing because I need, time is important. I need to do it now. No, you're going to love them. They're going to be great. And I'm going to supply your needs through these people. And God does that with us over and over and over because his desire is to bring us together. As much as we constantly want to be apart, God wants us to value this. And God sometimes doesn't even answer our prayers until we come together to experience that. Almost 10 years ago now, my wife and I, we had left the church where we were, and we were kind of churchless, and for the first time, I was preacherless, and I was like, this is going to be awesome. I can sleep till noon. I can do my thing on Sundays. I haven't seen an NFL pregame show in years. Like, this is my time. Like, I, I was kind of looking forward to that. And the very first Sunday that we had freedom, I found myself waking up. I turned over to Christy. I said, let's get ready. She said, where are we going? I was like, I don't know. We don't belong here. Like, we got to get somewhere. We have to go somewhere and worship. This is, this is who we are. And with a tear, she was like, I know. I was just waiting on you to say it. So went upstairs, grabbed the kids. Where are we going? Have no idea, but we're going to go worship. Now, we're going to be somewhere in God's house. And it was because there's something in me that just desired to be in God's presence and to be with a bunch of crazy people like you that I wanted to be around and spend my time with, even though I had the choice. I don't care. I want to be around people who want to know him more because I know that's how God works at times in my own life. I was created for it. I was commanded to do it. So that's, in, an es- in essence, the why, maybe the couple of the big ones. But let's look at the how, how we gather to celebrate Jesus. In other words, why do we do it the way we do it? Because if you drove to the wrong place, if your little Google map had taken you to the wrong church this morning, you would have probably had a different experience depending on where you wound up. It may have been a lot livelier. It may have been a lot quieter. There may have been more people, fewer people, instruments, no instruments. There may have been a little bit more discussion, less discussion. There may be spitting and shouting and yelling and sweating and all that kind of thing. Or maybe there was more of a lecture and there's maybe a robe or maybe there's jeans. There's a difference depending on where you go. So why do we gather the way that we gather? And God's given us a little freedom for this. He's given us a little bit of a, a leeway to decide But let me put it to you this way. When I grew up, we had a small, modest house. And from the time I was uh, birthed to really 12, we were in two little houses, um, both of them similar. And we had three bedrooms, a couple of baths, a living room, a kitchen, and then a room that we never used, ever, ever used. And it was powder blue. I remember the the color, the look. I I have a hard time remembering the the room the way I want to because we never went in there. But there was was kind of powder blue, light colored. And all the chairs were like super tall, high, hard back. And like the booty space was very small. Like you just kind of sat on the end when you were in there. Very uncomfortable. There's a reason we never went in. But we called it the dining room. No dining ever took place. Like we were never in there. No dining went on. But we would sit there, you know, 
We have visitors come over. Hey, I didn't know you were coming. I just wanted to stop by. Come into our dining room. And then it, my mom would look at the kid, us kids like, you know, like, come on in. So we're sitting like, where do we sit in this room? Like, we didn't even know where to go. There's no food, no drink. I mean, you know, you, didn't, you wore your shoes in the room. I mean, it was just a, a very odd, stuffy kind of room. Maybe some of you grew up having one of those rooms. You never used it unless someone came over that you needed to impress. Like, oh, come into our dining room, which we always meet in. And we just kind of sit there like this. And it was just so awkward. Then the visitors would leave, and my sister and I were like, hallelujah. And then we'd run into the living room, kick off our shoes. I'd throw off my shirt. We'd just lay down on the couch and grab the remote. And that was comfort for us. And in a way, worship gives us a little bit of a leeway. Not as much in attitude, but in atmosphere. When Jesus was talking with a young lady who was of a different nationality than him, and there was a lot of friction between their races, he overcame a few relational barriers in communicating with her. And then the idea of worship came up. And this is what he told her in John chapter 4, verse 21. He said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. In one way, Jesus was saying, listen, in the end, whether you worship in the dining room or whether you worship in the living room, this isn't about atmosphere. This is about attitude. This is about the heart that you bring into this place. And that's what I'm most concerned with. So whether or not we worship in a way that's familiar has no bearings on the authenticity of it. We can be incredibly comfortable and incredibly callous at the same time. Or we can be incredibly formal and we can be all pristine and put together and at the same time be pompous and get nothing and give nothing to God. He said, it's less about the atmosphere, it's more about the attitude. So there's a principle that we follow here um, and it's something that's really important to me. It's a phrase I've thrown around a long time. It's not a biblical phrase, um, but I think it captures the essence of what Jesus told the Samaritan. It's informal reverence. So one of, I'll share two principles today, but informal but reverent is the first. Like we're going to be able to worship in the living room. We're going to try to create the atmosphere of a living room, something that's a little bit comfortable for you, something that allows you to, to be you so that you don't have to come into the place and feel like, I don't know that I belong here. I don't know that I'm, I'm worthy to be in this place. I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here. God, I don't know that I can be honest with you. I'm not even sure that I'm eligible to sing some of these songs because of last night. I don't even know if I should have these thoughts and these prayers because of what's going to happen later on in this week. And I'm just not sure I'm ready to be all in there. We're struggling with that and we're all in different places in our faith journey. But we wanna be able to be ourselves and to be able to be who we are yet not lose sight of the holiness of who God is. And the reason we're able to come in in that way is Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 reminds us this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, he did the formal stuff for us. He went back behind a curtain that no one else was allowed. He did the very important off limits kind of stuff. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we did, we do, yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Notice those words, when we approach the throne of grace, we get to do it with boldness, with confidence, with courage. He said, you can step into the presence of God, not because you're worthy, but because you've been invited, because we want you to be in this place. He said, there's an invitation that's been extended to you. It has nothing to do with our worthiness, but has everything to do with the fact that you belong here. We want you here. And we're not marching into God's presence saying, here I am. The Holy One has come. It's none of that at all. It's just, God, I'm here and I'm pleading the sacrifice of Jesus. And because of what he did, he did the formal stuff so that you could rip that curtain out and say, everybody, living room right now. I don't, but I don't belong in the living room. I belong here. My son did the work. Come on in. He knocked down the walls. We're just going for the open floor plan now. Like, just come on in. Bring it all in. Bean, ba- bean bags, bring them in. Just come on in. Because it's not about the atmosphere, it's about the attitude. And if I come into this place and get too cozy and get too comfortable with God and lose sight of his holiness, uh, that's a problem. But if I create a space as well where people don't feel like they can be themselves because of all the, the shiny, polished stuff we have, then I've done equally a poor job. So informal reverence is something that's really important to us. And there's just one other thing I want to share with you, and that's this principle of focused awareness. In other words, I'm focused, but I'm aware. I came here to worship God and God alone, but I'm aware of the people around me. I'm aware of those that are in my place. We come, we come to throw a party, we come to celebrate Jesus. That's why we're here. It should be full of joy and full of a ton of fun. But as you know, anytime you invite people to something and you throw a party, there's always someone that comes that you didn't invite. Like you've got this party and all of a sudden someone comes in and goes, hey, I brought my neighbor. Oh, okay, well, I guess there's room. Then come on in. Hey, my cousin's in town or I brought a girl or whatever. Like I brought someone like, fine. We throw the party. We have a guest of honor, but we know that there will be people that are coming that we don't expect to come. You throw a party for 12 people, why do you grab six bags of ice? Because people just show up. Hey, I noticed you're grilling. Yeah, you noticed that because of the grill in the front yard and the smoke coming out? Like that's, that was really, really keen of you to, to catch that. Well, it's, hey, no, I can bring some meat over. We'll just have a party. It happens. And you and I are here to worship God and God alone on Sunday mornings. But every now and then, people come in. And people are around us. And if we get stuck in our little subculture of Christian stuff and use all our Christian words and act like everyone's familiar, it, it pushes people out. And that's not what we need to be doing. The second church that I pastored was in South Carolina. And we moved there and didn't know anyone, didn't know the culture. And my very first Sunday when I got there, the chairman of deacons said, well, don't forget the visitor thing. You know, at the beginning, I forgot what he called it. And I said, what? He said, well, we, we all sit down and we invite anyone who's visiting for the first time today to stand up and tell us about themselves. I thought, well, that is a poor idea. Like that is not, <laughs> and, and why aren't we growing? Well, that's the worst idea I've ever, he said, well, that's what we do. Like it makes them feel special when they stand. I say, no, it makes them not want to come back. Like that's what that does. And that, it's like, well, we have struggled to grow. Like we can't do that. We cannot do that. And I just didn't have the influence in the beginning. 
And I'll never forget that first day. It just happened once. We changed it after the first one. But after that first day, I said, if you're a member of our church, uh, be seated, please. Everybody else, if you just stand up and we'll <laughs> go around. It was, oh, I was cringing so much. I was like, Christy, either I'm going to resign or we're going to fix. Like, I've had one Sunday and I cannot do this anymore. But I understood that outsider-insider principle. And you could say, well, it's not about you. It's about God. Exactly. And that's why this is so helpful for me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul, the writer of this letter, is helping a church deal with worship, with the gathering. And this is what he said. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. He said, if an outsider comes in and your worship is so over the top, and he specifically said, as you're speaking tongues and they don't get it, are they not going to think you're out of your mind? He said, so when you worship, just be mindful that there are people coming in that don't get it. As you're worshiping, be mindful of the fact that there are people around you that are not yet followers of Jesus. There are people still trying to decide. And many of you have come here week after week and you still haven't made that decision. And you're sandwiched between two people who think you've already made that decision. And every week when I say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe today is your day, you come this close to going, I'm gonna pray that prayer in my heart. And for whatever reason, you don't. But you come so close to saying that. And maybe around you, people assume you're an insider, but you're an outsider, you know that. You're, you're, you're not necessarily in the family of God. You're getting really close. You're asking a lot of questions, but you've never made that decision. And the author here of this letter, Paul, says, be mindful of that. So as you plan, make sure they understand the words. Make sure that you communicate in a way that makes sense to them. So my desire is to communicate truth from God's word that challenges you if you're a believer, but makes sense to you if you're not. I know there will be things you don't quite grasp because that's just what God does in our lives. He teaches us the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and insight that we're never going to have apart from him. But it, you ought to be able to understand. You ought to be able to understand the invitation that's being given. And so for us, that means removing distractions, trying to take away everything, like a mic issue with the preacher. Like remove all those things that might hesitate, make you hesitant to hear what's going on. Remove those things so that you can just focus on God and realize there are people around you that one day, may get it. You never know when their time is going to be. So as a whole, and I love this, and I hope this will be true for us if it's not yet, the gathering should be a place where happiness and holiness collide. Now, I know if you've, if you've been following Jesus a long time and you're new here, you're thinking, that guy didn't get the way to sin, the problem of it all. We need to be broken and repentant. We need to make sure that our hearts are broken before God. And I understand what you're saying. And if I ever come waltzing into God's presence, acting like I'm God's gift to the church, his hand will leave me in a moment. I believe that. There'll be no authority and no power on my life and no help. And actually, God help me if I ever get to that point. I understand that. But Jesus Christ gave his life for all of us. He died on a cross. He was buried. And three days later, he rolled away a tomb and walked out and said, follow me, victory and resurrection is here. I don't really have a whole lot to be sad about, honestly. 
I get broken over the fact that I'm rebellious enough to do things that don't honor God. And I just drop to my knee as fast as I can and say, Jesus, you've made me for more than that. Not again, we're moving on. And I may drop to my knee 14, 15 times a day, but I'm not just gonna wallow in pity over the misses I make when I know what Jesus has actually done for me. God's called me to be holy. There's no excuse at all. I can't blame anyone else when I misstep. But I also know that I don't have to spend my life afraid and have my spirit just tucked away in fear that I'm gonna be known because God knows me and calls me. And I can celebrate. I, can, I have something to be joyful about. And so when my happiness and the holiness of God collides, that's Sunday morning. That's the gathering. And right now, some of you don't look like you're in a party. You do not. I can see you do not look like you're in a party right now. If you come to parties like this, you need to go to new parties. You, you don't have it on your faces. But I also know we all condition each other at times to be in a place like this and just kind of be sad. Think about in church, if you were thinking, reading through verses, and you looked over at someone was just grinning. You're like, what's wrong with you? Like, that's, that's weird. Well, actually, we're weird. Like, shouldn't we be in God's presence going, I cannot believe you let me hear God. I cannot believe you love me. This is crazy. Like, you know me, and yet you still want to hear me sing about how great you are. I can't get over that because I'm gonna leave this place and be reminded by all sorts of people and all sorts of situations how unworthy I am. But when I come into the presence of the only one that really matters, you say I can boldly and confidently approach you because of what your son did? It doesn't make any sense, but I'm not gonna fight it. If, if I can be happy here, I'm gonna do that thing. Happiness and holiness colliding. You and I need to prioritize this. Now, granted, it's easy for me to say it seems a little self-serving. Make sure you're here to hear me preach. Every, like, of course, I want you to be here. But when all of God's people are together, it, there makes a difference. It makes a difference. And we absolutely love all the benefits that come from gathering, but that's not why we do it. We were created for it, and we were commanded to do it. And we, when we live our lives doing what we were made to do, that's when we hit our sweet spot. And that's what I want and pray for all of you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being so patient. And God, I ask that you would right now invade our space and interrupt our lives, that you would speak to the one who's an outsider, or as the translation we read is an inquirer, someone who is asking questions, someone who's trying to figure it out, for the men and women and teenagers in this place who are trying to put it all together, God, I pray that they understand today you. Whether or not they understand me, whether or not they get the atmosphere or, or get what we're trying to accomplish, that's fine. But if they understand you, that's what matters the most. You're calling on their lives to accept that free gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith in the Son of Jesus Christ. And that's just the beginning of our journeys together. We got to thank you for that promise. And I thank you in advance for the people in this room who might be making that decision right now and praying and receiving Christ in their own way and in their private lives and their hearts. God, for those who are followers of Jesus, I pray that you would encourage them to take that next step. You'd call them up. And maybe their next step is to make gatherings more of a priority. Maybe their next step is to push themselves to become a little more involved with their spiritual family. Only you know what the next step is you have for them, but I pray they would have the courage and strength to take it. And for those who have come in with broken hearts, because we do know that the church is also 
a place for brokenness. God, I pray that they would take a step towards healing today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a faithful God. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.